light a campfire, and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond Fireside Chats. Hello and welcome to Leave Our World a Better Place. My name is Kasia and today I'll be speaking to Christian Salcedo, Wildlife Director of Rewilding Chile, a non-profit foundation dedicated to conserving the beauty and biodiversity of Chile and Patagonia. Christian, welcome to Leave Our World a Better Place. Thank you so much for joining us. You're here to talk to us on behalf of Rewilding Chile. And I'm very much looking forward to hearing a little bit more about conservation in Chile. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, thank you, Cassia. It's a pleasure uh, to be here and to talk a little bit of what we have been doing as Rewilding Chile uh, in southern Patagonia um, and tell a little bit of what we have been doing along these years and where we are today and, and what is the scope of, of the foundation work. Before we go into Rewilding Chile and the work that you do at the organization, uh, what it stands for and all of that, I'd like to just set the background and find out a little bit more about you. I believe that you started off studying veterinary science and then you made the move to working in conservation and with wildlife. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how it happened? Yeah, well, um, the, from a, a personal perspective, uh, the, the wildlife and nature was, I would say, the, the main reason why I decided to study veterinary medicine. So that so, came first. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was the beginning. And of course, in the meantime, as I was studying uh, veterinary, I, I realized that not necessarily or, or a lot that we learned uh, is more, let's say, in a, in a traditional perspective of the veterinarians to to just for human benefits, just with a, a traditional productive perspective. Um, so at the end of the career, I, I had a chance by one hand to, to interact in, let's say, the traditional veterinary practice, but I also had gradually a chance to, to move uh, to the conservation and nature, what really was uh, uh, the, my my principal uh, motivation to to do so through that I, I had a, a chance to jump let's say to a project uh, with the Chilean Park Service with CONAF who is the state body in charge of the park national park administration and I start to to work there so this like is the short story how. Uh, from a veterinary student, I was involved uh, as today with, with wildlife and conservation. Fantastic. So this this might be a bit of a side question, but you know, you say you started off with veterinary science with the intention of working with wildlife. Is it really is is this kind of an, a bit of an unusual direction in Chile? You know, is conservation something that's available for young people to study, or is the route that you took? Um, kind of the best that you had available to you at the time? Yeah, well, that, that is a good question because at that time I studied in the, in the early 90s. Um, I would say that almost nobody who was studying veterinary medicine or, or very few, one or, or two as much, were really interested, let's say, in the conservation side. Uh, today, things have changed a little bit for, for better, of course, there are more chance, uh, 
but at that time was really uh, unusual <laughs> that a student what the, the scope was so was really for was easy for for professors to say oh the students who who like condors and <laughs> that was me yeah? <laughs> so, uh, uh, and of course yeah over the time um, today the the status is totally different there are other veterinary faculties that uh, give courses just more focus on wildlife or on monitoring and conservation and research. So by, by fortune, things had changed in a positive way, but at that time it was, was really <laughs> unusual. And, but anyway, it was, was a kind of... Uh, and, and before I was, there were also some young Chilean conservationists working. So it's, it's how things happen everywhere. So it just changed when, when things happen in terms of, of the time frame. It's fascinating, though, and congratulations on being part of that groundbreaking beginning. <laughs> yeah, well, we were a couple of, but there were so many fields along Chile that make that difference. And this is the reason why today there are much more people uh, involved in studying and, and working with, with wildlife and conservation and, and protected areas, which is, is great. And of course, today you're also in a position where you can you know, influence this a great deal more. I believe that your current post is Wildlife Director at Rewilding Chile. Is that correct? Yeah, totally. Um, through the foundation work is a fantastic platform, not just to achieve the goals that we identify as a foundation, but also to inspire, to motivate young people to make a change. So it's fantastic uh, to have that, that possibility from, from the, the foundation. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit at this stage about Rewilding Chile? You know, what is the organization? What has it been set up to do? What is its mission? And what are the steps that it's taking to achieve that mission? Yeah, for sure. Well, well, the, the first to say is that Rewilding Chile is the legacy of, um, of Douglas Tompkins and Chris Tompkins Foundation. That was a, a, a long story of conservation in both Chile and Argentina. And Rewilding Chile is, is the legacy of that work. So it's the continuity of that work. Um, and the vision that the foundation has is related with a, a planet. Uh, we believe um, that we, we need to secure a healthy planet uh, with complete and functional ecosystems uh, where all life forms thrive and, and communities develop in harmony with nature. So we really believe in the need to change uh, how humanity is is running uh, the, the life that we understand as development today and really to reconnect with nature. Um, in terms of, of our mission, uh, its focus uh, is very related with national parks and the, the species extinction crisis. So our main tool for that is rewilding. This is uh, why we, we are named today as rewilding. And we believe that rewilding as a holistic conservation strategy along the what we call the root of parks. So it's a long area in Patagonia, in the southern Patagonia. And we believe that with rewilding, we will be able to 
address the species extinction crisis and the climate crisis that we are facing globally. So through the creation of national parks and marine parks, through uh, restoring ecosystem and species, and uh, making uh, a more connection or a stronger connection of local communities uh, with nature uh, is key on this challenge. And we believe that uh, we are contributing to that, but we, of course, that we are not the only ones doing that. So for this, it's really uh, a, a huge uh, rewilding network at global scale that is working today. So. Our main area is located in the southern Chile, in mostly in Patagonia area. And the big area is what we call this route of parks that is, let's say, the Carretera Austral, the principal access to the south of Chile, through the one that you can uh, visit 17 national parks. And, uh, and it's a fantastic uh, scenic route, uh, beauty beautiful landscapes and wildlife. So the change in terms of the economic uh, or on how communities perceive their the surroundings, the, the ecosystem, it, it's a challenge because traditionally many of these areas, they were the original activities were related with livestock, with farming uh, or with timber harvest. So it's a, a cultural change that, of course, involves uh, decision makers, politicians, because it's really to propose a new economic model for the country. I think that's so key. And, you know, um, it's very much the same. That sort of model of involving the communities is very much something that I think there's increasing awareness of around the world. You know, and even in Africa, where we have a, a long tradition of national parks, there's growing awareness of how they should be structured and what communities need to get out of them. Yeah, well, it, it, it's it's challenging uh, always in in all places. Uh, there is no uh, a magic receipt because every park, every community has um, a different sensitivity. There are different needs, uh, different expectations. So. It's really something that needs to be work for uh, individual cases. Uh, and, but of course, we, we all know that is something really important because it's the only way how uh, protected areas, ecosystems and wildlife could persist over time. Traditionally, conservationists, they were just looking, let's say, for the wildlife, for the nature. Uh, not thinking even on, on the people, on the community. And when we were talking about rewilding, we, we need to put all together so uh, communities are as important as wildlife, as ecosystems. And the only way uh, how we uh, our uh, rewilding or restoration efforts uh, are achieved with a long-term perspective uh, is uh, the, the only way is if we involve communities in, in along this process. If not, we will fail for sure. Um, and the communities uh, at the very uh, wide sense, not just, let's say, the, the, the locals are as important as the regional, as the, the national level. So all the levels are, are really important because uh, they, they all had 
different uh, degrees of influence on, on what happens in our parks. But they're all absolutely crucial for them to understand and to feel included. Yeah, exactly. No, that is, is critical. Christian, you've mentioned the root of parks, and I know that you were part of the team that assisted in the creation of Patagonia National Park. Can we just speak a little bit about this concept? You know, obviously you're trying to create greater integration between people and wildlife. Why is the creation of national parks so important in this context? Can you speak a little bit about that significance? And then also just tell us a little bit of the story of the creation of Patagonia National Park. How was it accomplished? What were the challenges? What were the victories? Perfect. Well, um, the first to say is that if we go back for the creation of parks in Chile, traditionally national parks have been managed by the Chilean state through the agricultural ministry. So traditionally, there is no uh, a long story of relationship of Chilean citizens with with our parks. So it's something really uh, recent. Uh, I would say that from the last generation. So my my grandfathers, my mom never visited a national park, but today you have a chance to see Chilean families, uh, independent on your social position, visiting parks, uh, enjoying nature, and, and this is a, a major change. So uh, traditionally, the, the scope of decision makers in Chile was that National parks were marginal areas in terms of development. Of course, that they exist to uh, secure land, to secure forest, clean water, to uh, respond to the global commitments that the country has with, with other countries, international agreements, and so on. But never uh, the, the national parks have been identified as uh, as fundamentals for development. Uh, and I would say in the recent decade, as consequence of rewilding Chile war, Tonkin's conservation, this had changed because we put in value the existence of this, let's say, this natural capital, that if you make a, an investment plan through public use areas for national parks, campgrounds, uh, trails, hotels, etc., they can really provide in addition to the natural benefits that they, uh, it's obvious that they provide, they can really become uh, a motor for development, uh, especially from the tourist, touristic perspective. So this is the reason why we start a couple of years ago talking about the root of parks. So the root of parks is, let's say, the, the southern portion of Chile. That is, uh, we have a, um, a main, let's call it as a road, but this road in, in many places is just gravel road, but it's beautiful. And along this, this road, you have a chance to, to visit uh, uh, some of these national parks that they are 17, crossing temperate forests, fjords, channels, mountains, glaciers. So a, a variety of landscapes that is, is hard to imagine. Of course, that is impossible to do in a single trip because it's a huge, we are talking about over 2,000 uh, kilometers long. And of course, that in some areas you, you need to take ferries. 
but it's a unique place in terms of beauty, in terms of parks. And of course, some of these parks today, they have very good infrastructure for public with campgrounds, with trails, with outlooks, and others uh, not yet because they, they, they need to be incorporated into the state plan. So this is our, um, I would say, part of our major goal that to put parks as pivotal as centers of development for the, for the southern areas of Chile, for Patagonia. Uh, and this, by fortune, is doing well because it's, it's working, because the authorities understand the importance of the route, the value of the route, the opportunity that the routes represent for the country, for the districts, for the local communities. So it has been very powerful, um, the change that we, I would say, in, in, in the time that we have be, been working, we... It starts with opposition. We start with people that they don't understand our objective. And today, uh, it, it changed a lot. Uh, people understand the objectives, understand the importance, the opportunity. Uh, but it's a process because it's impossible that the change happens in, in from one year to the other. And for that, you really need to convince and, and that politicians and authorities uh, are part of this project. So Root of Parks today, I would say that is more a Chile's project rather than than just a rewilding Chile project. Of course, that we were the, the, for, the first promoters, but we are one of many others that are, are very necessary to make that this excellent idea becomes a more and more a reality. And this is uh, talking about the, the root of parts. And if we move uh, towards the area that I was directly involved, that it was the Patagonia National Park. This project, we started in 2004 when the foundation decided to uh, buy, to purchase a, a former sheep ranching land of over 80,000 hectares. And this land was just in between uh, two already national reserves managed by the Chilean Park Service. So why we decide to buy this land? The, the reason was because it was a hotspot for biodiversity. Uh, it's a very unique corridor that connects the, the Andean Patagonian forest with the grasslands of Patagonia and offers um, a unique altitudinal gradient from the valley bottoms to the very high mountains, and its habitat of uh, a critical of some critical endangered species like the South Andean deer or Wemul deer that inhabits this area. So th these were some of the reasons behind the the opportunity that we faced in 2004, acquiring this land, offering this land and, and other land to the Chilean state. And finally, after a long process, imagine that in 2018, so let's say 14 years later, uh, the park was formally designated, created, and today the park is administrated by the Chilean Park Service, it covers over 300,000 hectares. Wemul populations are increasing. Public access areas uh, are created. There are campgrounds. 
There is a concessionary working inside the park. The community of Cochrane, uh, the, the, let's say the surrounding communities are much more happy and engaged with the park, which was something hard to believe uh, that it will be possible when we just acquired the land. So it has been a long process, but by fortune, we achieved the objective that was the creation of this park and, and many others. So uh, this has been a, a landmark for Chile. Um, the foundation was able to, to donate over 400,000 hectares of land and, and we, we contribute directly to the creation and the protection of more of 4 million hectares in, in Patagonia, which is, is unique. This is one of, uh, we, we helped to create five new national parks and, and expand another three parks. So it has been a, a major landmark, uh, is part of one of the largest donation of, of land from a private party to, to a state at the global level, and we, it has been our, our model in terms of conservation. It's a really remarkable achievement. And, you know, I find it especially heartening that you talk about, you know, the concessions in the parks and making them accessible to the public, because that's really so important, isn't it? You know, it's always been said that you can't protect something if you don't understand it, if you don't love it. And it's such a key to allow people to access those wildlife areas and to really, you know, feel passionate about them and want to protect them. Yeah, totally. That is critical. Um, this is why for a long time we have been working with the communities. Uh, in many cases, the local communities are very close of these areas, but they are really not connected. And even in many cases, they don't visit or even know the area. So... Um, since the beginning, we start working with the local school, with local leaders, and promoting outdoor activities, and not just, let's say, inside the park, but in in any natural space around the district, um, because that is important. So, uh, rewilding, as we were talking, is to reconnect people with nature. And that is, is needed in, in all levels. So it's not just for people that live in, in the urban areas or in big cities, but it's also applicable to, to the neighboring communities, not because they, they just, let's say, in, in rural area or peri peripheral, peripheral areas, they, we need to work at that scale as well. So it's very wide, the, the need of, of, connect people with wild space. And this has been critical. Uh, we have seen um, unique change, like originally the, the local community of Cochrane neighboring to the Patagonia National Park, they were really unhappy with the fact that we were promoting the creation of this park through the a, a major change in the land use. Imagine what means a, a big sheep ranching farm with over 30,000 sheep and say that we'll promote development, protecting Wemul deer or creating space for public was crazy. So people, they really don't believe us at the beginning. And today we, we are in a total uh, different momentum. So we have working with the young uh, community. The, the park is a reality already. They have seen the benefits of that. So 
it has been a, a really uh, powerful change. Of course, that there are people that is still they they don't like the part because there are so many pumas and let's, because there is a cultural issue uh, behind this change and and. Uh, it, it takes time, so we we are all as humans. We need time to understand uh, change that that happens, and and in some case we never accept, and and that is okay for for all projects. But I would say that in general, uh, the part today is much more appreciated. There is much more connection, and this is is really something when you see people visiting the park and. Being amazed and surprised that the, the fact that they are uh, encountering uh, guanacos or pumas in the park, things that they never really happens that that was uh, was possible. They, they never think that was possible to to happen. I'd like to talk about some of the wildlife species that you've you've been mentioning, and also, you know, what Chile is known for. I think a lot of our listeners are very familiar with the African wildlife species and. I know I'm I'm certainly a lot more familiar with them than than South American <laughs> ones. Obviously, some are really well known: the puma and the condor. Some of the others that you've mentioned, the wemul and the guanaco, might not be might not be as familiar to our listeners. Could you tell us a little bit about you know what are those emblematic species that you've been trying to protect, and what is their conservation status? What makes them special yeah, as well? Of course. Well, we have been working with uh, as a foundation. We we work with some of these species because some of them were in really uh, endangered status. They were like in, in trouble in terms of numbers, in terms of distribution, and in other case because they are really keystone species. Anyway, as a foundation, we believe in the intrinsic value of life. So let's say that. All species, they play uh, vital roles in the ecosystems. And of course, some are more visible or attractive uh, rather than others. But uh, And of course, over time, we have uh, started working with some species and we have been adding other species in, in our work. So I mentioned that we start of one of our primary reasons to work in, in Patagonia National Park was to contribute to the recovery of the Wemul deer or South Andean deer, which is an endangered deer, a population estimated less than 1,500 left that just inhabits the south of the Andes in in Chile and Argentina. Uh, We estimate that about 70% of the population is in Chile or the habitat for this species, and 30% is in Argentina. The, this deer is the southernmost deer of the world, so it's the deer that inhabits the 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 first south along the Americas. It's one of the most endangered species in of the continent, and today the, the its distribution uh, is in Patagonia, but is in very fragmented uh, and isolated populations. They don't live, let's say, in herds. They live in small family groups. Uh, we call or we talk about subpopulations because in some cases they they don't have a, a possibility to connect, say, between individuals to have genetic flow and, and all that. And it's a species that just have a single phone per season and females become mature about three years of age and they face a lot of threats like 
um, attacked by dogs when populations are nearby towns. They, they suffer disease that are transmitted by livestock. They are very sensitive for many viral and bacterial disease from livestock. Uh, and of course, as, in, uh, as threats for other species, let's say their habitat fragmentation, uh, fires, exotic species like feral pigs, like uh, red deer, uh, are a problem for these species. By fortune, today, the park has been a major refuge. Um, it has about 10% of the world remaining population. And we have been working with the Chilean state in partnership, promoting the recovery of these and other subpopulations of Wemul, which is critical. So uh, we are happy that they are doing well in Patagonia National Park, but we know that in other places we need to uh, reduce threats, to promote the monitoring, the, the radio coloring, and, and the recovery of some other subpopulations. And this is something that we have been working with the Chilean state through uh, our program that we call the National Wemul Corridor, that finally is to develop a number of, um, if, of conservation efforts along the route of parks, wherever is possible and needed for Wemul. Um, the other species that is very important and that inhabit the park and is a keystone species, a, a larger beaveros, that is, a, is the guanaco. Guanaco is a native South American camel that it weighs about 120 kilograms. is our is our largest terrestrial vertebrate in 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 Chile, South America. In Chile, because in South America there are others, but. For Chile, our largest um, is the major prey of, of pumas, uh, is the principal prey. Uh, and they tend to inhabit more the open, let's say the grassland, the, the Patagonian steppe. Um, they, in the park, we have a population of about uh, 1,500. Uh, during some census, we had count over 2,000. And they are very important because, as I mentioned, they is the principal biomass for, for pumas. Pumas are the top predators of the area. They were killed in the past by the ranchers, by what we call leoneros. Um, they play a major role as controlling puma, sorry, guanaco population. But of course, they, they play a major role uh, as top predators. So they provide food for a number of many other creatures of the areas, like Andean condors, caracaras, foxes. Uh, and that is very important in terms of the nutrients that are coming back to the soil, to insects that feed other animals. And, and by fortune, our population of pumas is pretty healthy. We have an estimated population of about 25 to 30 resident pumas in the core of the park. Of course, that these numbers, this number is referred to uh, adult residents because uh, we have kittens and juveniles, and, and this is dynamic. But there is a healthy population of pumas that uh, little by little is becoming more and more accustomed to visitors, uh, and, and that is a, a big change. Uh, the fourth species is the Darwin's rhea or, or the lesser rhea. Uh, that is a flightless bird that lo looks like an ostrich that lives in the open, in the grassland. 
It lives and, and, and shares its space with guanacos. In the district, the species is classified as, uh, in, as endangered because it, it has been facing a local extinction uh, because it, it, it has very low numbers and we have been uh, releasing birds in nature, uh, let's say reinforcing or out, uh, making a, an augmentation of population. Of we have been leasing individuals to the wild to increase the numbers. So we start with less, with about 15 birds in the wild. And today we are in between the 60 and 70 birds. And they had increased the areas that they occupy in the park, which is, is a good sign of recovery. And our goal is to reach about 100 birds in the wild. And then uh, we estimate that the population could be self-sufficient in terms of, of numbers. And well, and the other species that I mentioned already is the condor, one of the large uh, uh, the, the large flying bird that we have, and scavenger that use the park as a big corridor. Uh, it present uh, very frequently on, on guanaco carcasses that are left by pumas. And of course, they use, they don't just live inside the park. They live and they make use of areas, um, uh, that they have ranching activities. They, they fed on, on, on carrion provided by ranchers and farmers. And we have, we run a, a project in partnership with the Chilean Ornithologist Union. And we release on a yearly basis between two and four birds that are, re are rehabilitated and rescued and prepared to come back to the wild. Why we do that is because Patagonia is a refuge of the species and we really need to, to develop as much effort as we can to rescue individuals because they are very vulnerable for the population, uh, given the fact that it's a species with a long lifespan uh, and a breeding rate pretty slow. So they just have a chick, one chick per season and uh, they lay one egg every two or three years. So it's a very slow rate of breeding and they are very vulnerable to poisoning and, and, and that kinds of, of threats. So these are some of the species. Of course, there are many others like native ducks, geese, uh, armadillos, Patagonian skunks, uh, the, the place is beauty. It, it always has some surprise that you, uh, it's, you, it's unexpected. So it's, it's sometimes people are just focused on the puma and there are pumas, they are there, but not always you see them, but doesn't matter. Sometimes they are unique experience with other creatures that they are so, beautiful and important in, in the ecosystem that make the, the visit and the experience unique. Christian, you've mentioned quite a few projects to do with various species, the Wemul, the, the Condor, the Darwin's Rhea. Is there any specific project connected with a species that, you know, that you would like to highlight that has really had tremendous success and that you're exceptionally proud of? Well, the, the, it's a difficult question because it's like that I'm really proud of all that we had achieved uh, at different momentums, of course, because... Um, it's like trying to choose the favorite child. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 it's like, 
what is your favorite animal or, or things like that. Um, the truth is that I really feel proud of the big process, not just, I, I would not just remark a single project or a particular project, but I feel that all the experience that we run along these years has been very powerful and important at, at, at all levels that we were talking. Let's say Chilean citizens, international level, very local level, local authorities, because we work, we had working and we still work with Pumas. We work with the conflict with ranchers. Uh, we engage this program releasing condors that are really connecting people with nature. Uh, we are working in this major challenge at, at national scale, recovering Wemul. Again, that is, is unique. So I really believe that we are making a, a big change and not just uh, for us, it's, it has been very important, the, the bond and the connection with the Chilean state. We really believe that the only way how we can achieve more objectives, uh, protect more land, had a, a long-term impact is in partnership with the Chilean state. And this is the reason why most of our focus um, in all our activities, the Chilean state through the different bodies is our partner. Let's say in the touristic component, in the conservation component, in the protected areas component, etc. So this is why I would not say that we we of course that the landmark was the big donation in 2018, but we are now in 2023 and we need to move forward. So I really uh, believe that it's fantastic what we have achieved in terms to protect new areas and it's already protected. It's formally designated officially, but there is much more to accomplish. And this is what we, we are promoting today, what, what we are doing. We are promoting conservation in the, in the sea, not just land conservation, keep uh, stronger our work with local communities. The root of parts is so long, so there is a lot of uh, work to accomplish. Uh, we need to work and, and involve uh, the citizen in the awareness that there are other wildlife species that are important and critical in our ecosystem. The small cats that lives in our parks, for instance, is an example of a recent program that we are running uh, in, in some of, of the parks that we have been working. So uh, I would say that the process has been, today is much easy to talk about conservation and rewilding than it was 15 years ago when we just start. So today there is more general understanding on what we are trying to accomplish and there is much more better reception. In the past, we were in some way ignored or we were in some way um, people, they don't believe on where, what we were talking about. It was really a kind of an eccentricity. Uh, this is good because uh, it is, is, we need hope to move forward with this. We are really, uh, this is not an eccentricity, it's a need in terms of a global perspective. We are really facing a big problem uh, with climate change. We are in a crisis in terms of extinction of species and we really need to, to do something. And we are doing through the foundation, but we are we really believe that 
everyone is important and the action of everyone matters. And, and this is what we, we promote uh, with what we do. It's actually really interesting that you brought up that idea of the growing awareness around conservation. I was actually going, one of my next questions was going to be, you know, about the projects that you are running for these various wildlife species. You know, how accessible are they to visitors to the parks? Is there a way that that people who are visiting these parks can not only view the species, you know, they have, they have the possibility of encountering these endangered species, but are there like centers or places where these visitors can go and learn about the projects that you've done, educate themselves and find out more? Yeah, well, um, there are different... F first, well, the species, as you mentioned, they, uh, they are in different sections of the park. And I would say that the, the encounter rate is really high. Uh, so the possibility is if you are moving at the proper time of the day to see them is, is really high. Uh, and that is consequence of all these changes that happen along this year. So we prohibited the, the, the employ of, of dogs. Uh, there were no poaching, etc. So a, a bit, we, we removed fences, we restored the landscape. And today we are visiting the wildlife at their home. And, and of course, there are more specific information that visitors can access. Uh, one is through our website of Rewilding Chile. Uh, in the park headquarters, there, there, there is a unique visitor center that was designed and, and was conceived by Doug Tompkins. It's, it's very unique, and of course, it provides a, a lot of information of the of the origin of the foundation, the problem that we have in terms of this extinction crisis, and of course, specific information of, of some of the projects that we were talking about, about Wemul, about condors. And we as Rewilding Chile, we keep working inside the park. What, uh, what it means? Uh, it means that uh, we run with the Chilean Park Service. We have a formal agreement through the one that we keep running these programs inside the park in parallel that the park service is, is running, let's say, the, the general operation of the park. So we have park wardens that monitor Colored Wemul. Uh, we have park wardens that are in the acclimation pen when we have uh, Andean condors uh, being prepared to be released. Uh, we run a small uh, breeding center for rias. And of course, some of uh, of the members of our teams, of our wildlife park wardens, they are in the field. They are in some cabins inside the park in different areas. And from those areas, they patrol and they monitor the species that they are more involved. And of course, we support in terms of patrolling and vigilance uh, the Chilean Park Service uh, work that, that they, they have in, in the park. So in some way, and, and we, I, I had mentioned some of, of these species. I mentioned that we were working now with small cats in Patagonia and, and Pumalink Park. And of course, for, for all, all that, we, year by year, we, are, we keep running uh, programs and we are adding some new activities, and not just in Patagonia Park, but um, in other parks like Pumalín National Parks and, and other parks along the, the route of parks. The idea is that 
what we accomplish in, for instance, in Patagonia, the successful uh, experience we can in some way export to other parks along the route of parks and help and support the Chilean Park Service to run activities with Wemul, with small cats, because we really believe that it's important to put in value uh, uh, raise awareness about the role that these species play in these functional ecosystems that we were talking about. And they are really, um, they become a, a magnet for people because it's not just the landscape, but it's the creatures that are in, the, in that beautiful landscape. Uh, and that is, is new. It is something new for, for Chile. Uh, and by fortune, we have this nice example of Patagonia National Park, uh, and people has a uh, unique experience there. So, which is make me really feel proud of that. That uh, all kinds of visitors, uh, very local, international visitors, they are having uh, such incredible experience in the park. Uh, this is something that really made me. Proud, uh, make me proud to be part of an organization that promote that this happens, the, this big change happened. In the past, in this same area, pumas were killed, guanacos were chased away because they compete by food with sheep, etc. So we change a bad relationship with nature, with wildlife, to very good relationship and harmony, and we are also promoting development through a different way. Uh, it's not traditional, but as a friend of mine talked, uh, we are now producing nature. We are producing wildlife, and that is, um, is a capital, a natural capital that if you manage and think in a, in a smart way, you can also promote um, development for, for all levels. Something that I actually wanted to ask you about was, um, you know, part of your organization's name. It's Rewilding Chile. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions about rewilding and what it means. You know, I've spoken to people in some circles that think, oh, well, you know, rewilding, you just take land and you just, you know, don't don't use it for other for other purposes, you just leave it there to run wild and nature will restore itself. Well, that's a lovely concept to consider. It's really very far from the truth, isn't it? Yeah. Well, uh, rewilding is, um, is a concept that it has some years already. And of course, it has different meanings depending on, on how people employ and, and the context. So and and I, I would center my, my point, I would say, in what we understand as rewilding, that first of all is, uh, I would say, to restore the damage that we produce to the land in, in all forms. So as simple as that. So when we are talking about rewilding, for me, uh, it's related with restoration, with recovery of species, and with Active management. What what means active management? It means translocation, returning species to the wild, uh, reducing threats. Uh, in Chile, in many cases, we are not totally many species. They don't become deplete. They they don't become extinct, but they are very in very low numbers. So we really need to 
control threats before we increase numbers, because if we increase numbers and we are not addressing threats, we are not doing well. It's, it's not a, a good way to uh, on, on how to work. Uh, so rewilding talk about uh, uh, to have functional ecosystem. So it it's really uh, ask the question: Are all the species uh, of this ecosystem present? Are all of them playing their ecosystem role? Because maybe there is a species that is there, but is in very low numbers. And if it's in very low numbers, probably it's not uh, playing the, the ecological role. So that species needs to improve the numbers to make its ecological role. That it could be an herbivorous, like the, the Darwin's rhea, and it's also a prey for puma. So that is the what rewilding talks about. It's not just the recovery of a single species, but it's, reco- it's the recovery of the ecosystem as a, a, a an integrity and, and ask if all the relations of the original relationships of, of that ecosystem are, are in, in place. If not, what actions can we develop to recover or to improve that condition? Um, of course, as you mentioned, in some cases, uh, the rewilding would take place alone without management. As you say, you buy a piece of land that has a previous um, use and you say, okay, I will not touch. And of course, nature will take care. What happens is that it, depending on the ecosystem in some areas, that process will be slow and others will be faster depending on the nature of soil or, or what was the previous activity. So it's, it's really dependent on, on each case. But of course, rewilding um, is about to recover nature, recovering ecosystem, uh, and not just centering about an individual. An, an individual is important, but in the context of a population, uh, but not by its own. Um, and I've heard in, in some cases that rewilding uh, is used when you just release a single individual. We're not talking about that. We are talking about rewilding as a, a big scale, as an ecosystem scale. Yes, yes. And, and sorry, and the last concept about rewilding is that you work and you center your effort in some, let's call the keystone species. So what are keystone species? Usually are large or medium herbivorous, like guanacos, like rias, or top predators, like pumas. So um, these are examples, and, and this is valid for any place. Those are the species that we you, you put more effort there because if you work with top predators, you are indirectly benefiting many other species as well. You know, I think a part of it is also in you, you've spoken about creating the right balance for the species to thrive, but you also have to find the right balance between the national parks or the areas that you're rewilding and their neighbors, because otherwise you just, you know, you you have to set up a system that is going to be sustainable over the, the long run and that will be protected over the long run. So I think that's also a very, very important part of it for me. Yeah. No, that is important. We... Um, I would say that in Patagonia, one of the major 
difficulties or challenges have been the conflict with Pumas, especially um, because Pumas were traditionally killed because, of course, they they represent losses for sheep operations. Um, and what we we learn of our experience is that we combine we combine monitoring and research uh, with uh, preventive measures on on sheep herds. So we start employing uh, livestock guardian dogs with our own sheep, with our own team, uh, showing and learning about this process. And finally, um, we we have an excellent reception of the local community because uh, they saw the benefits of the use of these dogs. We convinced at some point the agriculture ministry to provide, and, and we also provide some dogs for some neighbors. So uh, in, in some cases, people need some tools, but not theoretical tools, but practical tools. And in this case, uh, the, the guardian dogs, the livestock guardian dogs, uh, really become ambassadors in terms of conservation. Today, there are over a hundred exploitations in the area of Patagonia National Park that employ these dogs with very good results. And what we achieve, we increase the tolerance of uh, ranchers to pumas because they they address the issue of predation employing these dogs. So they they. They don't need any more to kill pumas, like they did in the past, but dogs are uh, sufficient, uh, they, they are efficient to keep away predators, and predators are more focused on native prey. So this is just an example. Again, this is a challenge in all places, and each area has its own problems, but I would say that puma is in some way a, a very common problem in the southern of Chile, um, and and with parks and 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 by fortune, I I think that we are learning a lot about tolerance and and changing into traditional practices of of livestock. Something that you just said, you know, that each area has its own challenges and its own sort of um, elements that you need to look at, and yet I think. In another way, a lot of the conservation principles remain the same throughout. And I'm really, really curious about the similarities and the differences about conservation in South America and conservation in the African context. And I understand that you and some other members of the Rewilding Chile team had the opportunity to visit and beyond Pinda Private Game Reserve here in South Africa a while back. What was that experience like for you? you know, what was it like to meet with a, with a conservation team dealing with conservation issues halfway around the world to learn about the conservation projects that are taking place here. Um, how did you find it? Well, uh, wow. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long answer. L let me try to... to uh, well, first of all, um, I, I would say that uh, South Africa uh, represents for us a kind of... Uh, a unique opportunity to learn from from the best in terms of animal management and tourism and and all this link about uh, that some areas that were at some point really depleted of fauna. Uh, South African teams work hard 
bring back a species, recover their numbers, and make that of a, a business. So conservation has achieved and also uh, business and development through, through tourism. That in very general terms. The second is to say that South Africans did this in a very short period of time. So they moved hundreds or and thousands of animals of wildlife of all size and, and make this, this happen. So we, which is unique if you start to analyze information of other continents. There are no others in the world that has been able to do what uh, was being achieved in South Africa. So this was, these were some of the reasons why we decided at some point to go there to South Africa. And uh, we received a, a kind of invitation of, of and beyond team. Uh, we visit Pinda Game Reserve. Uh, and we were really interested to, to know how these mass captures are, are made uh, by, by PINDA teams in partnership with other game reserves, how impalas and wildebeest were, were translocated from one game reserve to the other. Because for us, it's really unique. Here in Chile, for instance, we don't have most of our parks. They, they can have fences, but they are fences for livestock. So we're talking about eight, as much as eight lines of wire, in some cases barb, in others it's just sim, sim, yes. uh, single wire. But we, for, for us it's a big uh, difference to see the national parks in, in Africa uh, or, or private reserves with fence areas, with electrified fences. Uh, it's a, a new planet for us because in our case, our wildlife, uh, we don't have big creatures like elephants. That our biggest creature is is puma. So it's uh, and and we we don't fence areas to control pumas. It's something that is really uh, open from that perspective. So uh, that is is a big difference. I would say that uh, here and we don't have in general dangerous creatures. So for us, we can move easily by foot in all, in all of our parks. And, and it is not the case in, in South Africa where you have buffaloes, elephants, and African lions, etc. So it's really, of course, it has um, some difference, but the challenge for us was to understand uh, how pragmatic and practical has been the South African approach uh, to rewild. Because... Um, Maybe South Africans are not calling all this work rewilding. We understand it as rewilding. Doesn't matter as you name for me, but what really matters is the objectives that you are achieving. And if you are achieving um, restoration of a species, of ecosystem, restoration and connecting people, communities with wildlife, with parks, you are doing rewilding. <laughs> so... And this has been uh, unique to see how successful has been the work in South Africa. And not just in South Africa, I have seen how uh, Ambiyond team has uh, supporting and has been involved in the movement and translocation of rhinos to Botswana, to other countries, supporting work in India. And by fortune, we also received some Ambiyond uh, managers as Les Carly, as Simon, visiting our areas, which is great because 
really open uh, your view, your mindsets about conservation. And, and it's unique. It's something that you can't learn from a book, from reading something or watching a, a movie or a, a documentary. It's really unique to have the opportunity to exchange experience with colleagues and, and people who have been working uh, on this with many more years of experience than we are. Uh, and we learn, of course, of the success, of the failures, because it's how, how the experience is built. So the, the, the challenge is permanent. And by fortune, we keep in contact with, with the teams. And not uh, the last year, uh, around May, we had a fantastic encounter in, in Valencia, in Spain. Uh, was a, a global uh, meeting about uh, rewilding fractioners. Uh, and there were the Beyond team was represented there by, by, by Simon. And it was great to hear fantastic stories of all over the world, from India, from South Africa, from North America, from Europe, and many groups working uh, with these rewilding efforts at ecosystem levels, at species level. And it's a, it's a permanent learning process. It's a never-ending process. Given all the differences, do you feel that there were conservation tools that are used in the African context that you hadn't been aware of maybe before and that you were able to take and adapt those methods or those those specific procedures and use them in, in the South American context? Or is it just too different? No, the, of course, there are some differences that they are major and, and it's really uh, difficult to think uh to, to implement because they are totally different in terms of scale. So, for instance, what I, I was mentioning about that our protected areas, they are not, let's say, with a, a totally fence. They, they have a fence that is more to to indicate that the, that is the, the border, but it's not a proper fence if you see from a wildlife perspective. That is a, a major difference. Uh, the other that was interesting for me that um, in many cases um, the livestock is really close to national parks and national reserves, game reserves, and it could be um, a, a health and a sanitary problem, let's say from tuberculosis and from many other uh, diseases that can be um, uh, a challenge, especially if you are dealing with, with wildlife. The, the, I would say that the principal aspect that we learn from the South African work, the problems that we face uh, with Chilean authorities a couple of years ago were the same that our South African colleagues faced 30 years ago. <laughs> so they said, oh, yeah, when we just started, it was the same. There were no regulations. Huh? And by fortune, it's a process. So you understand that the challenge that you face at your place, they are not so different of those that the South African colleagues face at their time over there. So uh, it required patience, it required persistence, but finally you get there. Uh, the other important is that you can fail, and, and that is okay, uh, because um, usually people think that if you fail, you... you you are not doing well your work. So if 
if you fail doing the best, it's okay. You learn from that and you adapt for the next uh, procedure or operation and, and do it in a different way and you learn from that. That was a permanent uh, mandate of the South African colleagues because all of this knowledge, of this impressive knowledge that exists in South Africa is, um, is due to this uh, pragmatic uh, approach when uh, you can fail and you learn from that failure and you improve and then you do well and, and you are learning and writing the proper way to do. So uh, all the experience and the success is based on this exercise of, of uh, failure and success, and, and it's okay. Uh, the important is to be systematic and, and keep running the, the efforts. All, all the, the, the stories of South Africa, they are so many, so much uh, an inspiration for conservationists because they had achieved so much, not just in South Africa, but they they are like supporting work in other countries, which is is unique. So in some way, South African South Africa become small for all what these teams are able to to do. And by fortune, we as Chileans and even our colleagues in Argentina, we are very inspired by the the teams that have been working in South Africa so hard and, and being responsible for the recovery of many other species uh, has been uh, unique. And, and we keep uh, still learning from that. It's, as I said, it's a never-ending issue. Um, and every time that we face a new challenge, by for sure we are contacting our colleagues in South Africa who to ask for some advice because it's, it's a never-ending process. And I'm sure it must have worked the other, the, the other way around as well. I'm sure that when, when some of our um, conservation staff were visiting you in South America, there must have been things that they looked at and said, oh, wow, you know, I wish we'd thought of that. Yeah, well, always trips, um, they represent a... Uh, uh, um, new oxygen that come to you, new ideas, uh, and are those things that you don't learn from a book or from a meeting in the computer or whatever? Is the, the only way is to be there, to share with people, to talk and experience. You can't experience everything yourself, so the more you can share, the better it is. Exactly. That's <laughs> how yeah. it is. Yeah. Christian, it's very, very obvious that you've got a million things going on and that Rewilding Chile is involved in so many things all at the same time. Are there any next steps, any upcoming projects or project milestones that you are especially excited about and that you'd like to share with us? Well, um, we have been recently involved in two major initiatives. One I already mentioned a little bit was the National Wemul Corridor, that is a formal commitment of the Chilean state through the Wildlife Park Service and the Wildlife and Livestock Agency to develop a number of conservation actions along the Wemul territory in Patagonia. It means monitoring, reducing of threats, uh, the implementation of the first rescue and, and rehabilitation center for these species in Aysen, and 
including new areas for protection for Wemul. That is unique. It's a, a landmark for Chile. And for sure, um, the idea is that other organizations and other partners become part of this, of this alliance, of this network for the Wemul recovery. The second initiative that I would like to remark is um, an initiative that we are running at the very end of the continent. Uh, we call the Brunswick Peninsula, it's Cape Froward area. This is just where the continent ends before Tierra del Fuego. Um, and in that area, rewilding with uh, the support of, of um, collaborators and donors, uh, we acquired a, 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 an area about uh, 92,000 hectares of land, and the foundation approached approach the president, the Chilean president, Gabriel Boric, to show the idea about the creation of these new protected areas. And the president was really receptive with that idea. It's also considering the inclusion of a marine protection area associated with this land. And there is other let's call public land surrounding this area that will be eventually incorporated for this new park. So these are very good news in terms of conservation because it's a mix of land conservation, of coastal and marine protection. It's an area where there are humpback whales, uh, many uh, birds that live in the ocean. Is the encounter, there are many nutrients that flow from the Atlantic to the Pacific Ocean is the last portion where the last Wemul, the, the Andean deer lives. So it's the last refuge, the, the far south point where the species is encountered. So it has unique features that make this area as a paradise. And uh, uh, we believe that it will become uh, a new national park soon. Uh, and we are working today with the Chilean state. So these are fantastic news for, for Chile, for Patagonia, for the world. It's a very important area and, and unique for its beauty. So these are some of the recent initiatives that we have been focused and and we hope to have some good news soon. And we are working to, to achieve uh, the objectives in 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 each of these two projects, the Wemul Corridor and, and the Cape Frower project. Just to end off with, um, when I looked at the Rewilding Chile website, you know, there's something that really, really struck me, and that's that the way that it speaks about how the future depends on the actions taken by each and every one of us today. You know, if you could leave our listeners just with one thought, what, what would be the action that you want the listeners to take? to make that difference? And how can everybody that's listening to this podcast help ensure a future for the world's endangered species? Well, um, we, we are all responsible for the crisis that we are facing today. So we, the, this crisis is not a, a, a subject of a responsibility that states or presidents should tackle alone, but the involvement and the, the behavior of all citizens matters and make a difference. Uh, we, we know that we are in a big problem. Uh, the evidence is, is, is clear. And for, for, to make that change, the, the only way is that 
Everyone makes something. Uh, and sometimes people think that they are far away because they live in a big city or whatever, but everything matters. Matters what you eat, what you consume, uh, uh, what you what you do in your weekends, you can be part of a local organization that is is making a difference for nature, for predators, for trees, for the forest, for, uh, to clean the water, whatever. There are many ways. Uh, we just need to to analyze what we are doing, what we are consuming, uh, how we can improve or support. Uh, local economies, uh, not just acquiring things that come from faraway places. Or when I'm doing a trip, uh, I, I'm going to a place where um, they, they, there are good things happening or good examples that are, are taking part there. So I think that there are so many ways we just need first to, to be conscious that we are in this problem and that your individual action make the difference. Of course, uh, it, it never, it, it always have different expression. People just immediately think on money, but we're not just talking about money. We are talking about actions. Uh, and many of those actions don't, don't even require money, require your time, your commitment, uh, and, and your analysis sometimes on why you prefer one product versus the other. Uh, all that make the difference. So I, I invite everyone to be part of this rewilding effort because we we all, the, the actions of everyone matters and it's the only way how we can address the, the crisis that we are suffering. The fact that we have a, a, a species become extinct is just an, an alert, it's a red alert uh, the face that temperatures are increasing again. So we have more than sufficient indicators to take actions. Uh, and this is finally what we need. And of course, if we are able to put these uh, issues at the, at the local communities, work with our local leaders, uh, with decision makers, is something that is, is really important. So connect with nature, dedicate your time to nature, um, and that is, is, is something that I think that is important to, to everyone. Thank you so much, Christian. I think that actually breaks it down in a very easily relatable way. Yeah. Um, and thank you also for giving up so much of your time. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you today. No, it has been great to share a little bit of what we have been doing in Chile and Patagonia. And I invite the listeners to come down at some point and enjoy the, the beauty and experience uh, Patagonia and the root of parks and, and follow what the foundation does through Rewilding Chile and yeah, and, and keep on, on the loop on, on what we have been doing. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll get a chance to chat to you again sometime in the future to get an update as well. No problem. I will be more than happy to share news on, on our projects. Thank you for listening to Leave Our World a Better Place. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you'd like to find out more about And Beyond, please log on to our website at andbeyond.com.